So one of the things I forgot to mention uh, when I talked about the theme of this evening um, in that there were several themes, I'm also going to bring back uh, right now the theme of last week, which was the, uh, the precepts, the, the precepts of non-harming. Just out of curiosity, how many of you heard the talk last week? Okay, great. So um, last week I mentioned that since I will be teaching all this month here, the themes that I am wanting to uh, share with you are all related to working with just the craziness that is our world right now, all that's happening right now how to bring it into a Dharma perspective, and how to practice with the difficulty. And so we started with the practice of non-harming, which I introduced as really the, often anyway, the the first practice that's undertaken when we go into retreat, when we go into a monastery, um, just about anywhere in the world. And so it's taking the precepts as, as uh, lay people, oftentimes we take the five precepts. And so if you haven't heard the talk or are unfamiliar with the precepts, I, I'd like to encourage you to at least listen to the talk I gave last week so you can become familiar with these, this practice of non-harming. Um, it's just a, a, a really practical and also heart-engaging practice that will aid you to meet all that's happening right now. So what I had promised last week, because I actually ran out of time, I guess there was a lot to say about the precepts. (laughs) We never actually got to take them together, which was kind of the point. (laughs) So um, I want to start by having us take the precepts together. And then what I would like to do is actually have us take the precepts every Thursday this month. So for the remaining, what is it, three Thursdays, uh, take the precepts together. And perhaps this will catch on and maybe there'll be more precept taking uh, in the near future. as just a way to support us as community to... Um, to come back to this promise of, of living a life that is in alignment with harmony, compassion, wisdom, and non-harming. So I'm going to read what the, I'm going to tell you what the um, precepts are as either a reminder or as um, uh, just new information. And then if you feel ready to take the precepts, we'll then take them all together, and it'll be a call and response. Um, And I say ready because, as I spoke about these last week, these are not to be taken lightly. They're not commandments, uh, but they are a practice that is meant to be taken very seriously and wholeheartedly. So this isn't a casual taking of the precepts. Uh, This is something that, that we're... Uh, engaging in as a practice. So I'll tell you what they are. Uh, So it's undertaking the practice to abstaining from 
killing uh, living beings, undertaking the training to abstain from taking what is not given, undertaking the training to avoid sexual misconduct, undertaking the training to abstain from false speech, I would say unwise speech, not just false speech, but unwise speech. Undertaking the training to abstain from substances that cause uh, harm, so cause you to actually break the other four precepts. Okay. So there's a lot to be said that I said already last week that I won't say tonight uh, that goes into each one of these precepts. So again, if you are wanting to take these precepts, uh, to, to find out more about them. You can listen to the talk. If you do know these precepts and you feel ready to take them, uh, you can then take them now with me. So uh, one of the ways to do this is to sit in a posture that is uh, upright, can feel a sense of dignity in the posture within yourself, the best of your ability to do so. If it feels comfortable to take your hands uh, and put them up by your heart like this, if that does not feel authentic, don't do it. You can take a hand and put it at your heart like this. This is a way of just becoming more receptive. Um, I find this to be uh, a gesture of humility. Um, but it, it needs to be authentic to you. You can also just have your hands in your lap if you would like. Okay. So we'll do call and response. I undertake the training, undertake the training. to abstain from killing or harming living beings. I undertake the training to abstain from taking what is not given. I undertake the training to abstain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the training To abstain from false speech. I undertake the training. To abstain from substances that cause harm. So these practices of non-harming, they are they are in the spirit of revealing the the greed 
hatred and delusion that are at the roots of the harm that we cause. They allow us to start to recognize and analyze where these roots have taken hold and are in some way uh, running the show. And so one of these roots in particular, uh, I feel like I've been just seeing and hearing a lot of, and that is of hatred. I was in a coffee shop the other day, uh, not trying to eavesdrop and listen in on someone else's conversation, but there was a table of two women sitting, actually two tables away, and I could hear their conversation pretty well, so they were talking fairly loudly, and one of the women said something like, uh, she was talking about uh, Donald Trump and just all the hateful things that that he was doing and and all the people that he was hating through the things that he was doing and and the word hate just kept coming up about his his hatred his hatred and then she finally stopped and just said i just hate him for that <laughs> and they both giggled a little bit um and then the conversation went on from there but i thought it was just a really uh <laughs> an interesting an interesting loop that was very relatable. You know, we are really quick to um, see other people's hatred and uh, if we're not careful, we get sucked into, into that pattern of hating. We begin to hate the people who are hating and think that our hatred somehow is valid. <laughs> it's somehow um, maybe a little more spiritually advanced or something. I don't know. We have funny ways of holding it. But it's, it's time to put that in check because we don't want this hatred to be spread like the disease that it is. That's not what we want. Even the woman in the coffee shop, as she was talking about this, it was clear that it was very disturbing to her, all this hatred in the world right now. Although I'm not sure that it's any more hatred than was there before, but we're just, perhaps it's just being highlighted in a new way. So we don't, we don't want to add to that. Uh, but... If we're not careful, we easily do with our own patterns of hatred, which we all have. We all have those seeds, those roots. And so as we are quick to judge others, it's time to really go inward and check ourselves. Gandhi is credited, although I was not able to, and I looked pretty hard for this, um, find the source of this very provocative statement. But apparently he said, the enemy is fear. We think it is hate, but it's fear. It's an interesting point of view. All this hate that's, that is being highlighted right now. Uh, 
seeing it as the enemy, which last week I talked about that. That, yes, that is what we are fighting against, is greed, hatred, and delusion. And so this statement is provocative in the way that it's making us look even deeper at hate. I think what this statement, whether Gandhi said it or not, is pointing to is that if we look below hatred, if we look to see what's fueling the hatred, often what we'll land in is some fear, some level of fear. And I think about that for a moment. Think about the things that you're afraid of right now. The things that have you agitated. The things that really get you angry. Maybe it's just straight out fear that's arising. And it may not have anything to do with the political situation right now. I use that as an example because it is very real right now. But There's other very real things happening in the world. I mentioned this last week. uh, Life's uh, promise of old age, sickness, and death is rolling right along. And so some of us are really dealing with that and very much face-to-face with that, face-to-face with loss, face-to-face with other hardships. And so take a moment to see, is there something that uh, is bringing in this sense of anger or frustration or real hatred? And is there fear underneath it? Now, in, in the Buddhist teachings, Below that, we find ignorance. At the root of it all is our ignorance, our not understanding things as they truly are. Just not being clear. And from that uh, can sprout this fear, this hatred, as well as greed and delusion. So then we end up with a bit of a map of what's happening, perhaps. So when we look at the places, the things that we don't fully understand and the fear that arises from that, so it could be the fear of losing something that we really care about, for example. There's a lot of fear right now across our country based in the fear of losing something that's really important to us on all sides. And so from that fear, we don't really want to be in the fear. To be in the fear means we have to be vulnerable. To be with our fear means we have to be vulnerable. And that in itself is scary for most people. And so from that, we create this protection of hatred. 
It's almost like we've built this wall around our heart of protection. We're fighting against whatever it is that's threatening that that softness, that vulnerability within ourself. And so this wall of hatred, uh, it's functional in many ways. It's functional in that it protects our uh, sense of who we are. It protects our... um, idea of being strong it protects many different things but the problem with it is that not only does it keep a lot of people on the outside of our vulnerability but it also shields our wisdom from really going in and seeing what's actually going on here sometimes i think that that's the purpose of the wall ultimately that we put up, this wall of anger and hatred, oftentimes it's to prevent us from actually going in and seeing what's really there. We're afraid to actually look. We don't want whatever is there to be uncovered because we have this idea of its ugliness or what it will mean to our sense of, of self. It'll be too much, too overwhelming. We don't know what it is, but we have this sense that we don't want to go there. So we create these these walls to protect our vulnerability, which is understandable to some degree. So it's interesting, this idea of the wall. Um, There's been a promise to build a physical, actual wall uh, on our border. It's not that much different. It's a wall that's built out of fear. It's a wall that uh, the idea, just the idea of it, it's not, it doesn't even exist. (laughs) But it does exist it may as well be there. The wall, it, it's being built out of the fears of people who, um, well, it's hard for me to speak, you know, I can't speak for them. But it does seem that um, there's some sense of something needing to be protected, whether it's their families, protecting their families, protecting their jobs, uh, protecting a certain way of life, protecting uh, an, an idea, protecting um, change, not wanting change, wanting something more familiar. There's a lot of fear in all that. And so when we see it from that, from that angle, I don't know, I, I guess when I hear it in this way, I see how this wall, it blinds us from 
what's actually there, the vulnerability that's really there, whether it's the actual physical wall that is being promised for our borders or this wall that we all uh, tend to construct in front of our, our own fears. It blinds us to what's really there. A wall on our borders is not going to cure any of those fears that I just mentioned. But the promise of it is so good. You could see how someone would want to fight for all that in a way that uh, even allows for hatred, justifies hatred. This, of course, is based in ignorance and not seeing things clearly. But how do we do that in our lives? How do we construct these walls within ourselves and justify them? It's not easy to look at. But I'd like us to look at that this evening. Where are we blind to the roots of our own misunderstandings? So I'd like us to sit for just a moment and get in touch with this this idea And take a moment to see if anything arises related to fear. You don't have to go mining for it. So if nothing arises, that's just fine. But what's going on in your life right now that brings in, maybe it's just a little bit of worry. Maybe you're really scared about something. It might be something that's fully related to your life and what's going on in your life. It might be a fear related to something, something that's happening to somebody else you care for. Maybe it's something more on a larger scale. And then see if you can notice, how do you hold this fear? Is it hard to be with it? Have you been dealing with it or finding ways to move around it? Have you noticed if it's manifested and anything like hatred or anger. Frustration. Sometimes even just impatience can be a subtle form.
Sometimes it can manifest as confusion or depression. Sometimes a stuckness. Sometimes doubt or selfishness. These are the ways that we construct our walls so that we don't have to really look underneath it and see, what am I afraid of here? What's at the root of this behavior? So these might be the fruits of fear. And then we'll go a little further and see if there's an obvious root to the fear. Is it clear that this fear is coming out of something that perhaps is just not fully understood? So then if your eyes are closed, you can open your eyes and take a deep breath in. Deep breath out. Okay. So I'm not going to leave you there (laughs) this evening. Um, In fact, one of the ways in which we can help this type of, uh, you could call it energy or... um, uh, experience that's arising, if if fear or anger uh, or hatred is arising, one of the ways to help ourselves with that is to relate it in community, a safe spiritual community just like this one. So what I'd like us to do is, is turn towards somebody near you. It could be someone you know, it could be someone you don't know. And I'd like you to just share as honestly as you can Um, what that was like, what came up for you. What did you notice about any fear that arose? Um, Did you notice what the fruits were? Did you notice what the roots were? And just take take some time to share, be heard, and then to then listen to somebody else experiencing perhaps something quite similar. So go ahead and turn towards somebody near you. If this is just too much and you don't want to do it, that's just fine. Um, You can just uh, stay in your practice, stay quiet. And each person, take just a couple of minutes to, to share with the person next to you. So the first person, take another minute and then you can uh, switch. So if the second person hasn't started, you should start now. We'll take just one more minute. Okay. And you can thank your partner. 
And I'd like to hear from some of you, just um, maybe we can take a couple of people to share what, what it was that, that came up. Maybe even in the sharing itself, something was realized or noticed. Great. And would someone be willing? Is that okay, Jackie? Thank you very much. Um, so, right over here. Did you raise your hand? Yeah, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> There's no backing out now. <laughs> so I thought it was funny. I was shit. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Thank you. It really helps for everyone to be able to hear. Yeah. Sure. Thanks. So I was sharing some concerns for my 19 and 22-year-old twins. I have twins, two sets of twins. <laughs> With my neighbor, and I missed her name, Simone. And Simone shared her concern for her parents. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. What else came up? You're all talking quite a bit, so something came up here, right here, on the other side. Well, for me, it kind of, I worked around to one that I realized is a fundamental thing that I always come back to when I, I don't always not always quite aware of it, but it's, it's fear of the world falling apart and going to violence. Yeah. Um, there's so many ways that that appears to be happening. And, yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's my ultimate fear. And that would, you know, include me and my family and, you know, all my loved ones. Yeah. Thank you. I could tell from the sigh that that was very relatable. One of the things um, I was sitting with as I was trying to kind of engage in in deep listening was sort of judgment toward myself. uh, Because what Jackie was talking a bit about was sort of systemic issues that are both like the systems affect individuals, but sort of the ACA being repealed and how that would affect mm-hmm. people's li- uh, ways of living and health and making it day to day. And I was feeling judgment toward myself because what I what was coming up for me was sort of this feeling, this fear of aloneness and like romantic and just not having love, that type of thing. Mm. And so sort of this judgment of like um, struggling interpersonally and knowing I'm not ignoring systemic and institutional issues, but sort of feeling like it, there's something selfish about it. Um, mm. But I was sharing um, to Jackie that I saw on Facebook the other night um, this activist named Darnell Moore. He does a lot around Black Lives Matter and like feminist issues. And he was saying that like if we had intimacy, really strong love and intimacy, it would completely transform how we engage in activism Mm -hmm. and I was seeing that sort of play out as like that it's not really not that it's not worth invalidating my feelings but just that there's something to love as well like and how it supports our 
activism and our work with others. So Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah. If we act from the hate that arises, uh, most likely our actions will be in hate. If we can move past that to those soft, intimate places within ourselves, if we can find the, the love and the compassion within ourselves. For that's there. It's the reason, actually, for some of uh, the hate and, and the anger that arises is because there's something on the other side of it that we love and we cherish and we value so deeply. If we can allow ourselves to go into that, our actions can come from there and perhaps be more uh, effective in creating the world that we're wanting is what I'm hearing. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think what came up for me today and something that I knew for a while is um, at, at the root of fear is is vulnerability, is mm-hmm. is the feeling of feeling unsafe, yeah. and and I think for those of us who experienced trauma growing up and as a result, uh, there is a loss of that basic trust with yeah. humanity. I, I think it's very, as a survival strategy, you have to build that wall yeah. to be safe. And we all have our own ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think hate, I'm not a hateful person in general, um, um, uh, but I, I, the hate that, that has gotten us where we are today is really the greatest distraction Mm-hmm. It's a distraction from the core issues that, that that we as a community, as a country, we're not able, we don't have the, the bandwidth or the courage to face. Yeah. So hate is easy. Right. <laughs> and it wins. It has won this time. Mm-hmm. And we're all figuring how to deal with it, how to live with it, how to get around it. But it's a very big distraction. And the flip side of that distraction is is going to the root of of it, which is to be vulnerable, yeah. and to feel terrified yeah. of facing what it means to live on this earth with people who are different from us. Yeah, thank you. Yes, we'll we'll have to stop there. There might be time at the end, but thank you for everything that was said. Thanks, Jackie, for doing that. <laughs> Is it hard to look at your fear? As I think you're, I think you're right. I, there's something a little bit more uh, accessible to look at greed, hatred, and delusion somehow. But fear, is it hard? We could even do hands. Uh, how many of you find it difficult to really not just say, oh, yeah, I'm afraid of that, but really go into it and be with it? Is it, is it difficult? Yeah, that's what I thought. I really honestly was asking that question. I find it difficult. Yeah, so we don't do it <laughs> very often. We get distracted by other things. Start to look at how are we avoiding that fear? How is that coming out in our life? What are we doing instead? 
It's a really interesting question. I'm finding it interesting right now, finding them doing all sorts of things that seem very righteous. Maybe they are, (laughs) but there's also a shadow side, not looking inward and deeper. So, so then, okay, we're going to look at that fear. We're going to be with the dukkha of that, that fear. And we have this practice that gives us a lot of tools to be able to do that. You know, we know how to, in theory at least, to steady the mind, to be open with our attention, to stay present with whatever is arising, because of course the only time that we'll be able to work with it is in the present. It's the only way we can really be with it truly. So we train our minds in this way, but what about when it's just totally overwhelming and it seems like way too much? The fear, there's, there just isn't a doorway to our wall. The wall is so tall and so wide and we're kind of secretly hoping there isn't a doorway. <laughs> we want it there to be, and we don't want there to be. And we're kind of stuck in this place of, well, maybe I'll just get to that later. So what do we do then? And so in answering that question, one of the ways to, to work with it, there could be many, many ways, but one of the ways to work with it is through the practice of evoking Kuan Yin, Bodhisattva, of compassion. And this, I, I'm bringing this practice in because this is a practice that I related to very early on in my own practice. I was doing it without knowing that it was a practice. But early on in my own practice, I was working with very intense fear, uh, actually trauma-related fear. And I couldn't do it alone. I couldn't do it on my own And yet I was in silence at the time that I was working with it and had to find some way to at least drill a small hole through that wall, which was actually enough for the time being. So I did it by uh, bringing in this beautiful being whom actually is in the room with us right now. If you turn around to face the back of the room, you'll see the altar to Kuan Yin in the back, which I I'm, I'm get to be very privileged in, in having her be uh, one of my focal points when I get to be up here. And in the, the place that I was practicing, working with this my own fear, there were statues of Guan Yin all over the place, but nobody talked about her. She didn't show up in any of the talks. Um, I didn't know who she was, but there was something, and you can see it just in the images. And I recommend as you leave tonight to go up and to really take her image in. She shows up in many different forms, actually, many different images. Um, she changes from different cultures, from culture to culture, she changes. Her name changes slightly. Um, the stories of Guan Yin change. Often the stories are very relatable. Often she taking the form of human being, a woman uh, with 
not really godlike powers, uh, although she's considered a goddess, but actually very relatable um, hardships. And the difference between these Guanyin characters uh, is, is her um, unwavering compassion and dedication to, to living a life of compassion and forgiveness and truth. And so those are the powers of Guanyin. And Guanyin is um, meant to be a mirror for ourself. She's meant to be a mirror for our own potential of an awakened heart and mind. So it's not necessarily, although culturally, I think in, in my understanding, I'm not an authority on Guanyin, uh, but my understanding is that in different forms of Buddhism, it's, she really is seen as, as a goddess, as a, a celestial being um, outside of ourself that we can call upon and she'll bring us um, good fortune, help us through hard times, uh, oftentimes her, her name is recited. Um, we'll do some of that this evening uh, just to to invite her into our life. Uh, sometimes she's worshipped very much like um, the Mother Mary in Christian in, in Christian belief. Uh, so it's just we can we can take this practice in in whatever in the way that um, is going to really open our heart. Other ways that Guanyin is brought in is just through the image of her. Sometimes building an altar to her, and just having the the image of this uh, uh, feminine presence. She's depicted as a woman, but I, I think of her. I'm using the word her uh, for simplicity, but is really beyond him or her. Maybe they would be a more appropriate. Um, word to use. Uh, there's a, 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 a femininity to her, though. There's um, a feminine power to her. And so um, this feminine compassion, allowing that to be in balance with so much of this masculine um, energy that's in the world right now, of, of that kind of conquering and... Um, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, building that wall. Uh, I feel like uh, this type of energy is, is something that we can really welcome in, and we can do that through the image of, of Kuan Yin, allowing just the image of her to kind of seep in and, and be with us. Visualizing her, we'll do some visualization. So there's different ways to work with Kuan Yin Bodhisattva. But I think um, at the heart of it, it seems that most of the practices see her as a mirror reflecting our own potential, our own capacity for compassion. We're inviting her in and in a way uh, through that, allowing our own heart to open. And it's through this softening of the heart that we can really sit with the vulnerabilities that are there within us. To actually be able to hold the the fear and the hatred that might be um, lurking within. So I I want us to practice with this briefly. 
just so you can get a sense of this. And I know that uh, maybe it was in October or September of last year, um, Sandy Boucher, I think that's how you say her last name. I haven't met her. I hope I said her last name correctly. Boucher? Oh, thank you. Boucher. Wrote, she's written a number of books, but one of them, Discovering Kuan Yin. So I brought it because she's more of the authority than, than I am on, on the practice of Kuan Yin. But also um, the monastery here, the tradition um, of, that's practiced here in this monastery is also very dedicated to the practice of Kuan Yin. And they have actually retreats uh, that you can find on their website if you Google Berkeley Buddhist Monastery. Um, where it's uh, dedicated to the practice of, of reciting the name of Guan Yin and, um, and studying the suttas uh, that are related to her. So there's many different ways to practice this. I'm going to give you the way that, that I've practiced with Guan Yin. You can see if it resonates. So to begin with, closing your eyes... Let your body be relaxed, but sitting up in a way that is, brings a sense of dignity. So even the way that we, we sit can be in reflection of the, the images of Guan Yin, which there's this real softness to the posture of Guan Yin, and yet uh, real stability and sense um, there's a, a nobleness to her, to her body and the way that she holds herself. So holding ourself with this sense of nobility and softness and openness. And we'll start with the breath, maybe taking a few deeper breaths. And as you breathe, find the areas of your body that might be most affected by any fear or hatred that's been arising lately. It might be in the chest or the stomach. It might be in the arms, the hands. It might be full body. And see if you can breathe into these areas, allowing them to expand and feel open. As we're doing this, we're kind of symbolically um, letting ourself know that we are ready to open to these places within us. And then somatically, we can experience that as we breathe into these areas. And then when I'm ready, I will call upon Guanyin Bodhisattva. And so in my mind, I'll either say her name In the Tibetan culture, the chant Om Mani Padme Hum is chanted. 
And some people resonate with that. But as you call her, it's really an invitation to the qualities of Guan Yin, of compassion, of steadiness and forgiveness. of really deep care for the dukkha. And so you're just inviting that wisdom and compassion into your own being. And then you can try visualizing. Some find it easier to visualize a moon, a full moon, which is often a symbol of Guanyin Bodhisattva. So you can imagine a really dark night, completely clear of clouds, and this bright, full moon high in the sky. Nothing else can be seen except for that bright light. And there's something very soothing and calm and present about it. If you have a stronger imagination and you know the face of Guanyin and, and the image of Guanyin, you might imagine her standing in front of you. So either image is just fine. Seeing her face and hair, her clothes, her hands. And feel those areas of your body that are holding any fear or anger. See if they can relax in the presence of this guanyin. It's kind of the feeling you might get when you're in the presence of someone who is just so safe, and so loving. There's no question about it. You can take the meditation a little further by inviting the image, whether it's of the moon or the image of Guan Yin, to actually bring it inside your body. Sometimes I imagine Guan Yin coming and sitting down 
uh, right inside of me. So that light or that image actually inhabiting the body, feeling a sense of that full potential of compassion and openness. can recognize that that this is a tool of opening your own potential. This is just a mirror of your own ability. can feel that compassion towards yourself through the compassion of Guan Yin. And then finally... If there's someone related to the fear that has been arising, some of you, someone mentioned uh, their kids, others, uh, their parents. Um, Someone was speaking more broadly of their family and even the whole world. And see if now looking out through this experience of Guan Yin, if there can be more of an openness, a feeling of settledness. Compassion. See, what is it like to view the world without the wall? To view the suffering of the world with deep compassion that can actually hold it all. And then to end the meditation, you can internally bow to Kuan Yin in thanks, offer your gratitude. You can bow externally if that feels right. Put a hand to your heart in gratitude. And if you'd like, you can open your eyes. If you want to stay with it, that's fine too.
So this is um, something that only works when we really truly invite it in. So if it's not something that you were able to connect with, it's, it's just another tool that maybe it's not for you. But you might uh, look to see if there's a way that you weren't bringing it in, not allowing it in, and try it again and see if perhaps there's some way to relate to this. So I have to end our, our evening because we're over time. But I thank you for your attention and willingness to, to do this with me. It's a bit unusual for our Thursday night, but um, it's unusual times. We might need extraordinary methods. And so we dedicate the merit to these beings and to all beings everywhere. May all beings be safe. May all beings have happiness and contentment. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings find freedom. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.